Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, open them to the book of Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 25 through 34. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. That is not the sermon text that is in your bulletin. I told Lori I would take full blame for that. It is not the secretary's fault. It is the pastor's fault. We changed things up a little bit this morning. As many of you know, we've been going through a sermon series entitled Paul's Missionary Journeys. But today we're going to take a little break from that series and we're going to look instead at a text that we actually read just this past Wednesday night. This is a passage that is extremely practical and relevant to every person in this room. For today, Jesus talks to us about the topic of worry. It seems like there's a lot of things to worry about these days. We worry about inflation. We worry about mass shootings. We worry about war. We worry about the moral decay of society. I mean, it's not hard to find something to worry about. You don't have to look very far. The dictionary defines worry as follows, to give way to anxiety or unease, to allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. And who among us can say that we don't do that at times? We lie awake at night and we worry about things. Will I have the money to pay my bills this month? Will I get to keep my job? Will my marriage survive? What's the spot that they found on my medical test? Will my kids, will my grandkids walk with the Lord? It's natural and it's human to worry about such things. In fact, in the examples I just gave, it would be irrational not to have some level of concern. But in today's text, Jesus invites us, indeed commands us, not to worry about our needs not being met not to dwell on our troubles in an unhealthy way, but rather to seek first the kingdom of God, having full confidence, if we are faithful to do so, God will be faithful to meet our needs. Note that I didn't say God will give us everything we want, nor did I say that he will work out everything the way that we would like, nor did I say God will make our life easy and we'll never have trials. But the promise this morning is that if we'll put him first in our life, he will meet our needs. So let's dig into this text and let's see what we can learn. Before we begin reading, I just want to make sure that we understand the context. This teaching today is part of the Sermon on the Mount, perhaps the most well-known sermon or speech, if you want to call it that, ever given in the history of the world. In the preceding verses, Jesus implores his followers to lay up treasure for ourselves in heaven rather than treasure on the earth. And he tells us there that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. In verse 24, he concludes by saying, you have to choose. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and mammon or both God and money. So which will it be? As we hear those words of Jesus, I think for a lot of us, One of the doubts that kind of creeps into our mind is, what if I give sacrificially to the Lord, and because of that, I don't have what I need? 
It's hard for us as humans to let go. It's hard for us to have faith that God will provide. So we tend to hold on to our treasure rather than release it to God. Because holding on to it gives us a false sense of stability and security. And I think Jesus in his sermon anticipates this reaction. So immediately after the discussion of laying up treasure in heaven rather than treasure on earth, Jesus moves into a discussion of why we don't have to worry about our needs being met. Because if we put God first, he will take care of us. So with that as the background, let's now begin to read this text. And we'll begin by reading verses 25, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 32. Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. And we'll pause right there. The main point of today's passage is stated right off the bat in verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. That is today's sermon in one sentence, in a nutshell, right there. Do not worry about your life. But can we just be real for a moment? Let's get something out of the way. Not to worry is easier said than done, right? Now, it's possible, or Jesus wouldn't tell us to do it, but I do think we must acknowledge that not to worry really is supernatural. In fact, the only way that we as humans cannot worry is by the grace of God. When we put our faith in Jesus, then he gives us his peace, and he gives us his assurance. So don't leave here today saying, I've got to try harder not to worry. You know what that's going to do? You're going to worry about not worrying. That's the wrong approach. You can't do this on your own strength. All that's going to do is just add guilt on top of worry. So we need to leave here today saying, I must give my worry to Jesus. I can't carry it on my own. But I know if I seek him first, if I put him first, that he'll take care of the rest. Jesus tells us in these verses not to worry about our life. And specifically, not to worry about the basic needs of life. What we will eat, what we will drink, what we will wear. In verse 25, he says, life is more than food. It is. <laughs> Yes, it is. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. The point here is that if God gave us life, 
and gave us a body to live it in, will he not give us the lesser things that we need as well? Psalm 37 says, I have been young and now am old, yet I, not, I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread. Our father is not a deadbeat dad. He does not bring a child into the world and then not provide for it. He will always meet the needs of all of those who are his children. So Jesus tells us not to worry. And then in the following verses, he gives three reasons why we shouldn't worry. So let's just go through those briefly. Reason number one, that we shouldn't worry. God takes care of the lesser parts of creation. Will he not take care of his children? In verse 26, Jesus says, The birds of the air neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, but the Father feeds them. And he says, Are you not of more value than they? And the answer to that question, by the way, is yes, you are. People are of more value to God than animals. Animals are wonderful creatures. They're blessings to us. They were created for our enjoyment, for our companionship, in some cases for our food. But it is man alone who was created in the image of God and given an eternal soul. And so the point is that if God loves the animals, which he does, and takes care of them, which he does, how much more so will he take care of his children? I think it's important to note here, this doesn't mean we can just sit back and not do for ourselves. There's an old saying, if you pray for potatoes, have a hoe in your hand. Even the birds don't wait for God to drop the food into their beaks. They go out and they work for it. They dig for those worms. And through their labors, God provides their needs. It's the same with us. We must do our part. Martin Luther once said, He is making the birds our teachers. The sparrow becomes a theologian. The nightingale, an excellent preacher. When he sings, he sings to us of God's glory and God's provision. As the song says, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know that he watches over me. Jesus uses another illustration to make this same point in verses 28 through 30. He says that God clothes the grass of the field with the flowers, that even Solomon, the wealthiest king in history, wasn't dressed as beautifully as the grass. And yet the grass is here today and burned up tomorrow. The point being, if God clothes the grass so beautifully, will he not make sure that his children have the clothes that they need? Spurgeon said, lovely lilies, how ye rebuke our foolish nervousness. I love that. Brothers and sisters, when you find yourself worrying about your provision, look around you at the world that God has made and you will be encouraged and strengthened. The second reason we shouldn't worry is found in verse 27. It's not nearly as poetic, but it's true. Worrying accomplishes nothing. Jesus asks, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Jesus is saying here, not only is worry sinful from a spiritual standpoint, it's worthless from a practical standpoint. Worrying simply isn't productive. No situation or circumstance has ever been changed by someone worrying about it. When we find ourselves worrying, the best thing to do is to force ourselves to stop 
and pray and to turn the matter over to God. Then, if there's something productive we can do to help the situation, we should do it. Either way, we give it to the Lord, we do the best we can, and we go on. The third reason we shouldn't worry is found in verse 32. Worry demonstrates a lack of faith in God and really results in a poor witness. Jesus says when we go around fretting and worrying about our needs being met, that really we're acting more like lost people in that moment than we are like Christians. The term Gentiles in the context of verse 32 refers to pagans. It refers to those who don't know the Lord. Worrying is a horrible witness to the world, and it's insulting to our Father. Those of us with children at home who who love and provide for our children as godly parents should, how would we feel if our kids went to school and told their teacher, told their counselor, I'm worried where my next meal is going to come from. I'm worried about whether or not my parents are going to dress me appropriately for the weather. If my kids did that, I would be horrified. I would honestly be irate with them. I would sit those children down and say, you are shaming our family. You are bringing disgrace upon us as your parents. We've always taken care of you. We've always given you what you need. What makes you think that we're not going to take care of you now? Have I ever done anything that would make you think that? Likewise, when we as Christians go around worrying about our needs being met, we say to the world that our Father either can't or won't take care of us. In so doing, we send the message that our God is not good, that He is not a good Father, and we never, ever want to do that. In reality, the Father knows what we need before we even ask. So there's no need for us to worry There's no need for us to act like those who don't know the Lord. As Christians, we have every confidence that our Father will take care of us. So for all these reasons, we know we shouldn't worry. But here's the deal. Jesus doesn't just say, don't worry, be happy, and then leave it at that. Many of you have that song in your head now for the rest of the day. This is a two-part formula that we're looking at. Jesus doesn't only say refrain from worrying. He goes on to say replace worrying with something else. And what is that something else? Let's read it and find out. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things, all the things he's mentioned already, all of these things shall be added to you. So what's the alternative to worry? What are we to replace worry with? We're to replace it with seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, what does that mean to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Well, essentially, it means to put God first in our life, to love him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, to repent of our sin and put our faith in Jesus Christ, to spend time in prayer, to study his word, to be committed to the body, his church, to bring him the first fruits of our income, to share the gospel with others, to pursue a life of personal holiness. All of these things comprise seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What Jesus is telling us here is that the more time and energy that we spend seeking the kingdom, 
the less time and energy we have to worry. And not only that, as we seek the kingdom, this is the best part, we grow closer to the king. And the closer we are to Jesus, the stronger we feel his peace and his power in our life. When you're in the presence of the one who spoke the world into existence, your problems have a curious way of not looking quite so big. But I also want to point out a very important little word in verse 33, and that is the word first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And here's why I think that word first is so very important. So many times, I think we fall into the error of viewing our life as various compartments and our faith as merely one of those. So we have a compartment for our our family. We have a compartment for our education. We have a compartment for our career. We have a compartment for our hobbies. But here's the problem. If we merely view our faith as one compartment in our life among many, it will always get put on the back burner. Why? Because if we slack at work, we get fired. If we slack at school, we flunk out. If we slack on our families, we could lose them. But if we slack in our faith, I think sometimes our attitude is, hey, God's merciful. He's patient. He'll forgive me. And so we tend to put him last on the priority list. Too many times, God is the one who gets our leftovers. But Jesus is calling us to something more here. He's calling us to radically change the way we structure our life. Not to look at our faith as just one compartment of many or just one part of who I am, but instead to look at our faith as the very foundation on which all of those other things are built. If we do that, if we seek the kingdom first and make Jesus the foundation of our life, then all of these other things, all the other needs we have, all the other responsibilities we have, will naturally begin to fall into place. Jesus says all of these things will be added to you. Now, that's just the exact opposite of how we typically look at it. Because in our minds, we say, well, if I give more time to God and more treasure to God, that's less that I have for other things. But what we find when we put God first is that something miraculous happens. He multiplies our time. He multiplies our treasure. He supernaturally accomplishes things that we could never accomplish on our own. As one man says, God can do more in a moment than we can do in a lifetime. To put it another way, if we take care of God's business, he will take care of ours. Let me illustrate this quickly, and then we'll move on to our last verse. Have you ever bought something at a store that has multiple parts and comes in a box? And you get that box and you're excited to open it, so you rip it open and you start flinging stuff out left and right. You don't pay any attention to how it was packed. And then something horrible happens. Like, this is not the right thing. Or this isn't going to work for what I need it for. And you decide to take it back. Then you're like, we have to put all this stuff back in the box. And in theory, it shouldn't matter, right? Like the parts should take up the same room in the box no matter what order they're packed in, but that's not the case at all. If you don't get the right parts in the right places turned the right way, it will never 
fit back in the box. But if you get the right part in first and then begin to fit the other parts around it, everything falls neatly into place and it fits in the box like it should. Church, if that box represents our life, the very first piece that must go in that box is our faith in Jesus Christ. And when we put that in first, then all the other stuff just neatly fits around it. Well, maybe not always neatly, but it will fit around it. If we do not put God first, our life will be a constant state of chaos, a constant state of disorganization, a constant state of worry, and nothing will ever fit right. Let's close with one more important statement from Jesus in verse 34. He says, therefore, anytime we see the word therefore, we look before. So he's summing it up. Therefore, because of all these things I've just taught you, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Here's what we take from this verse. God's promise that he will meet our needs if we seek first his kingdom does not mean that we don't need faith. Jesus tells us here that we need to take things one day at a time. We don't need to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have its own unique challenges, and that's where faith comes into play. We have to trust tomorrow to God. Jesus says, today has enough trouble of its own. Trust in me to get you through this day, to provide your needs this day, and tomorrow we'll wake up and we'll do it all over again. How many of you, when your feet hit the floor in the morning, you just say, dear Lord, get me through this day, <laughs> just this day. Remember how Jesus taught his disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer earlier in this very chapter. He said, give us this day our daily bread. Not this week's bread, not this month's bread, not this year's bread, just today. Give us our daily bread. But oh, how we like to know God's plan, don't we? We want to know, where am I going to get bread tomorrow? We want to know where this thing's going. We want God to give us a map. But all too many times God says, I'm not going to give you a map. Here's a flashlight. Just enough to see one step out in front of you. And you're just going to have to trust me where I'm taking you. He wants us to have a daily dependence on him. As we approach our time of response, brother, sister, are you racked with worry about what tomorrow holds? Is your mind eaten up with anxiety over your needs being met? I pray that God would give you the ability today to lay those worries at his feet to trust him, to experience his peace and his presence and his power in your life. But in order for us to experience that, that means we have to put his kingdom first. For some, that will mean taking the very first step of becoming a Christian. There is no peace if we don't know Jesus. The Bible says if we 
we'll admit our sins to God and turn from them, if, if we'll believe that Jesus died on the cross for those sins and, and rose from the dead and then call upon his name for salvation, committing our life to him, that God will save us, that the spirit of God will come and, and live in our heart and give us that peace. You can call on the name of the Lord today. You can turn from your sin. You can believe on Jesus and he will save you right now. For others who are already Christians but still struggling with worry, being a Christian doesn't take away all of our worry, does it? Unfortunately, we we struggle with the flesh. We still worry. But if you're here today and you already know Christ, it may just be that you need to repent of putting God on the back burner of your life and get him back out in front where he belongs and recommit yourself to making God the top priority in your life, and seeking first his kingdom. And as you do that, his word says, you'll begin to feel and to know his peace and his presence and his power in your life. So my question for you as we close, how would God have you to respond to this message today? Whatever the Holy Spirit is leading you to do, we're going to give you an opportunity here in just a moment to respond to that. In just a moment after we pray, I'm going to stand here at the front of the room. If you need to come and give your life to Jesus, we'd invite you to do that. Come shake my hand say, Josh, I'm ready to follow Christ. I want his peace in my life. I'll be glad to lead you in a prayer of commitment of your life. If you're here and you need to follow the Lord in baptism or unite with this church in membership or just want to come pray and recommit yourself to putting his kingdom first, whatever you need to do, that's what this time is for. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. And then we'll have our closing song. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your care for us, your concern for us, your provision for us. Lord, you're such a good God. Lord, you're so kind and merciful and gracious. You provide everything that we need. Oftentimes, you provide things we don't really need just because you love us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. Father, my prayer this morning, if there's anyone here that's just eaten up with worry and anxiety, that you give them the ability to lay that down at your feet and to trust in you. Help them, God. We commit this time to you. May your will be done now as we sing. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.